you think about the Bible? The Bible? It's okay. Uh, what do you think about the Bible? What do I think about the Bible? I think it's true. Yep. So you, yep. Live by it, read it. Um, I think it has some good advice in it. Not necessarily need to, like, I think you take what you can take from it, like a lot of other uh, books of major religions. And I'm really afraid of the end times because of that stupid book, uh, like the, the very end of it, like when it's all like everyone's going to die and stuff. So it's mixed feelings mostly. Um, it's intriguing. Um, I don't think about it frequently, but when I do think about it, I think of it as a, well, a mythical representation basically written by mankind. Whether or not, uh, and strictly speaking, New Testament, whether or not Jesus is a historical figure is probably not in question. But the whole miracle thing, eh, you know. What do you think about the Bible? Um, I think that it's a good um, reference tool to live well. I think it was the greatest book ever written. The Bible? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about something to do with music. The Bible? Um, I think it does a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, it's a very large book. What do I think about the Bible? Wow, that's kind of, I wasn't ready for that question. Um, I think it's great. I mean, you can't say anything really bad about it. It's, I believe, I'm a Christian, and I believe, and I believe it's very, very knowledgeable. Um, what do you think about the Bible? Uh, <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> uh, I think that Christianity, like most religions, was created as a tool to control people and to make, like, basically a way to make people uh, do what other people want. Uh, I don't know. I'd ask you the same question. What do you think about it? Well, I think that it's the inspired word of God and that it's true. In her book, Amazing Grace a vocabulary of faith. Kathleen Norris writes about meeting this guy named Arlo who uh, talked about his grandfather who was a devout Christian and said that for his wedding his grandfather gave him a leather-bound expensive Bible with the name of his wife and himself engraved in gold or embossed, I think they call it, on the cover. And for the months following the wedding, every time he communicated with his grandfather, his grandfather would say, did you like the Bible? Oh, yes, we really like it. Meanwhile, he'd never taken it out of the box. They had even sent his grandfather a thank you card. Kathleen Norris goes on to say the grandfather continued to pester him for months. Did you like the Bible? Finally, one day, Arlo picked up the Bible and opened it to Genesis chapter 1, and there was a $20 bill. Hmm. He opened it to Exodus chapter chapter 1, and there was another $20 bill. Grandfather, for his wedding gift, had given him over $1,300 in $20 bills at the entry point of every book, 66 books of the Bible. There's treasures in this book. And the treasures are not the do's and don'ts. The treasures are God revealing himself to us. And then out of relationship with him, his will becomes important to us. It's important to know the truth of the gospel. But even that isn't as important as knowing who God really is. 
knowing God through the Scriptures. The first four words of the Bible begin, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. It just declares the reality of God. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1.1, created the heavens and the earth. So he's the father of creation, the creator. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So this is creation day. Some people believe in a pre-creation earth and that this is actually a recreation. Well, I'm not going to get into that. We don't know. We only know what the Bible declares. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering. Can we say hovering? Like a hen hovering over her eggs. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So there we see God as the Father of creation. We see His Spirit hovering over creation. And we see Him saying His Word, the entrance of His Word. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of God's Word brings light. We know that's true in the spiritual realm. You ever read a scripture and it just suddenly comes alive to you and suddenly a situation becomes clear on how to reconcile this issue? It brings light spiritually, but literally brought light in creation. God said, let there be light. First John 4, 7. I think it's 5, 7 actually. There are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. The scriptures from the beginning reveal this triuneness of God. Three in one. The Spirit of God, the Word of God. God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit. The same God. So if we had a sign, I didn't make a slide, but you see the word God once on the left. And then you can read it like this. God the Father, God, the Word, God, the Holy Spirit. Three, Father, Word, Spirit in one, God. The Word became flesh, God's only begotten Son, born in Bethlehem. But as the Word, the Son had always been, because He is God. He is the Father he is the Spirit, and He is the Word. Creation is full of threes. You have length, width, height, three dimensions. You could draw anything with three dimensions. Well, what about depth? Well, that's literally part of height, reality. Well, what about time? Is that a dimension? Yeah, and that has three dimensions. Past, present, future. Water in its simplest forms is is manifested in three ways, liquid, gas, or solid, ice. And so even in marriage is a three thing, husband, wife, children, or husband, wife, God. Threefold cord is not easily broken. 
John chapter 1 begins with this declaration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the Father, Word, and Spirit are distinguishable, but they're inseparable. There's one God, and yet three personalities or personas, three ways that he operates. Are you saying God's schizophrenic? No, he is not ill at the least. He is awesome. The scriptures portray God as supreme. There are dozens of scriptures that say things like this. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. He is the Most High God. El Elyon is one of his Hebrew names. Most High. Lots of people are moving to Colorado so they can get high. But get God. He's the Most High. He's the only wise God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's declared to be the Most High 48 times. He's declared to be the only wise God three times in the Bible. And five times he's declared to be the God of gods. Psalm 95.3 says, The Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. He's the highest. He's the holiest. He's the greatest. He's a superlative. There's no superlative to describe Him. You just add superlatives to superlatives. In heaven, there's angels that surround the throne saying, He is holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy, holy. They're not just getting carried away in a contemporary praise and worship song. No, those nine holies all modify each other. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. I think you got the point. If you check your Bible, they have the word recorded them saying it three times, but your margin says the original manuscripts. Nine times. He is superior. The scriptures forbid our having other gods. The Ten Commandments open with this statement. You shall have no other gods before me. He is jealous for our love. One of his names is jealous. It's not a petty Kids' playground jealousy. He is jealous for our benefit. It's not good when we worship other things. It's not good when we make other gods a priority in our life. He is totally against idolatry. He's not a polygamist. He wants one bride. He's not a polytheist. He wants to be your one God. And he is not to be worshipped with images. The second command was, you should not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them nor serve them. Now, we often will relate this to other gods. Yeah, he's just saying the same thing. No, he doesn't want an image made of himself to be made for the purpose of worship. You should not make for yourself. Notice the word yourself. You shall not make for yourself 
a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Is God in heaven above? He doesn't want a likeness made of him, and you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. He doesn't want to be worshipped by our using images. Okay, well, I won't use anything that's carved. Well, he doesn't want anything that's molded either. Leviticus 19.4 says, Do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 26.1, You shall not make any idols for yourselves. Neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves. Okay, well, I won't do a carved image or a molded image. Well, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. Now, there's a big denomination that uses images and another group of orthodox denominations that use pictures. They call them icons. They'll defend these images to you by saying, well, they're like windows. We know they're not really God, but they're windows. They help us worship. I dare say that the world's greatest artists can't even scratch the surface of the awesomeness of Almighty God. So any image dumbs him down. Now, I love Christian art. i got lots of pictures of Jesus in my office and in my house. None of them actually look like him. But I have them because they point to principles of his life during his earthly life as well as prophecy in his return. I will never use them for worship, and I'll do my best to keep pictures out of here to be used for worship because... They dumb God down. They do not do justice for how great God is. He chose to reveal himself through his word, through words, and not images. So we worship who he is through the revelation of his words and the impartation of his spirit. Now let's really bring it home. Today's Yvette's birthday. So I celebrate Yvette today, all right? All right? I celebrate God every day, you know, worship Him. But this is what it's like to use an, an icon or an idol or an image. What if in celebrating Yvette's birthday, I took her image with me instead? Honey, sorry, it's going to be a good meal, but it's going to save us some money. This is a window. You feel the love? I'm sending you love. We've only just begun to live white lace and promises. Hello. There she is. When we get carried away with images of Jesus or God, he's like, hello, here I am. God is awesome. You can't paint him. Think about it. He's omnipresent. That means he is everywhere right now. So if suddenly he made his awesome omnipresence visible, we would be blind. He is a consuming fire, so we would be burned up. So in his divine restraint, 
He relates to us through his invisible presence and his audible, readable words. Now, the Holy Spirit can give visions, and you may have gotten a vision of God while you're worshiping. That's great. But be careful you don't conjure up images in your imagination. Why? Because whatever you can imagine doesn't even scratch the surface of who He is. He'll be like, hello, I'm over here. And you're getting all carried away with a picture. In his book, Soul Searching, Christian Smith summarized perceptions about God that are prevalent in today's church and our contemporary culture. He said that most of us believe in a God who is moral, therapeutic, and deistic. Moral, therapeutic, deism. The Santa Claus God. God made in our image. The word moral implies that God wants us to be nice. Don't be naughty. You won't get prizes. Therapeutic implies that God wants us to be happy. Notice who's on the throne in this thing. Me. In those commands about not making idols, he said you should not make for yourselves. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. And the word deism implies that God is distant, and he functions more like an idea rather than an actual person. Every culture can quietly mold and shape their views of God, but we'll never grow in a relationship with him if we insist on relating to him as we think he should be. It's the same way in our human relationships. If I demand that you meet my needs and conform to my assumptions about you, you will probably feel cheapened and manipulated. You ever have a relationship with someone that transferred their childhood conflicts to your relationship? Suddenly you had to live down daddy's mistakes or mama's error or some traumatic situation. Counselors get into this thing. They call it transference. We do not need to transfer human characteristics onto God if it's not revealed in the Scriptures. That's why our surrender to God as He is, as revealed in the Bible, is so important. Otherwise, we'll have a God of our own imaginations. We're talking about Almighty, Most High, King James Version says, Terrible God. The fear of him is the beginning of wisdom. Well, my God's not like that. Well, it may very well be true, but the the God of the Bible is. And it's time to relate to him as revealed through the scriptures. Another book, another excerpt from the book entitled With, written by Sky Jathani, talks about a test that a college teacher gives his freshmen Every year. It's two parts, 48 questions, two groups of 24 questions. The first 24 questions ask the students about what they think Jesus is like. The second 24 questions are completely worded differently, but they're asking the same thing. They ask the student what they are like. 
This has been done on other college campuses too. The vast majority of the time, the results of the test reveal the students think Jesus is just like them. Sky Jathani writes, the test results suggest that even though we like to think we're becoming more like Christ, the reverse is probably more the case. We try to make Jesus like ourselves. French philosopher and anti-Christian Voltaire said over three centuries ago, quote, if God has made us in his image, we have returned him the favor, unquote. Now, God is who he is. Revealed through the scriptures. The scriptures don't contain him. He is far greater than the Bible even describes. But this is like a lens that helps us. Like a kid watching a parade through a knot hole in the fence. The things we know about him are just a, a glimpse, just a whisper of who he really is. And it's important that we're not inaccurate in our understanding of him, but that we pursue knowing him for who he is as revealed in the scriptures. What about us? When we dumb things down, we're hurting ourselves. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope in him purifies their self just as he is pure. So our God is awesome. And we have been predestined to be conformed to his image, not the reverse. He came down so that we could come up. He came out so that we could come in. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He became poor so that we could be rich. He became cursed so that we could be blessed. When we use our imaginations to conjure up pictures, it's impacting our faith in a way that's going to backfire on us. Santa Claus, where are you? God's like, I'm here. Your faith is strong when it's tied to the Word. The Scriptures say that Jesus made God visible. John 1, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He came declaring what God is like. When Philip told him, Show us the Father, He said to Philip in John 14, 9, He who has seen Me, has seen the Father. I am God. His name, Jesus' name, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel is a great name. Maybe, maybe you're named Emmanuel. Maybe you have an uncle named Emmanuel. It's a great name because God is with us. It's good to be reminded of that. But Jesus is and was God with us. Us wasn't just a name, it was reality. His work was to make a way for us to know God. His life was more important than his appearance. 
I think God in his wisdom kept any artist from sketching him. The Shroud of Turin, you may love it. I think it's just a big distraction. Point is, his work, not his appearance, is where it impacts us. In Isaiah 53, it declares that things he did on the cross prior to his suffering, verses 2 through 4, relate this about his appearance before the suffering begins. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So guess what? It was prophesied Jesus wouldn't be winning any beauty pageants. If he is tempted in all points like as we are, and if you feel like you got gypped in the looks department when you came into the world, guess what? Jesus knows what it feels like. Well, the pictures I have of Jesus, he's good looking, and that little girl in Australia had a good looking Jesus. Well, that's great. He's resurrected, remember? His earthly life, he was not attractive. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. If the hunchback of Notre Dame was real and he came in this room, many of us would not look at him. This was the appearance of Jesus. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You can come to him with your sorrow to the throne of grace boldly and find grace in time of need. His work, not his eyeballs or his lips or his teeth, his work is what made God visible. The Scriptures promise we can know God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. His work was so that we can know God. That's the purpose. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.15. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness, that is, all the fullness of who God is, should dwell in Jesus. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Verse 21, and you who once, can we say once, once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have. Scriptures show us the truth that we can know God. Not just know about Him, but you can know God through what Jesus did on the wooden altar called the cross. On the cross, He crossed the great divide between God and man. And on the cross, He paid the price to cross all divides between man and man, woman and woman. Parents and children, the price was paid for reconciliation to happen 
through the finished work of Christ. And the three greatest words he uttered on the cross were the words, It is finished. I'm done. Fully paid. And then he didn't stop there. He rose from the dead as the first fruits of resurrection, the first resurrected man for eternity, giving us the assurance of one day when the whole world has heard the gospel of the kingdom, we will have eternal life. And yet for us as believers now, we already have it. Death for us is just a physical thing. Our spirits will live on forever through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you know God? Well, I'm not sure. I've got to do some more thinking. Will you really do some more thinking? Will you let your knees hit the ground somewhere and start talking to them? Well, my knees hurt. Well, you can sit down somewhere and talk to them. You can even go online. And research testimony after testimony after testimony of people that believe in the Lord and their stories they've told. And you're in a room full of people that know God, that would love to have a part in your coming to know Him. In the meantime, get to know Him by reading the Bible. Become hungry. Life certainly has more of a purpose than just having a house with a picket fence and two dogs and your savings all in order. Life's got to be more than that. It is. Through the scriptures we learn, it's about knowing God. And we pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would reveal yourself to us where we've had the wrong picture of you in our hearts. Lord, tear down all of our idols whether it's things that displace you, things of the world, or even things we've thought about you that just really aren't true. They fall short. Lord, make our understanding of you more biblical than ever before. And Lord, I pray especially for that person here that does not yet know you. I pray, Lord, that they would begin to talk to you and ask you to prove yourself to them and, and begin to search for you through the Scriptures. As we heard last Sunday, even through prayer, Lord, you hear the prayer of everyone that calls out to you. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for that person that does know you, but they've not been close to you. They've been far from you. Help them, Lord, to come home to a closer walk with you.